0: This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the regions of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Zhang, the host. Today we're going to look back at the law school saga, the continuing UC Irvine law school saga, which ended um, or which took a, a new um, elevation last week uh, with the rehire of Erwin uh, Chamorinsky. Uh, earlier uh, last week, uh, and the academic senate meeting on Thursday, um, with uh, an apology given by the chancellor Michael Drake. Uh, during this show, we'll be airing highlights of that meeting of the academic senate here at UC Irvine, and also we'll end the show at um, talking with a professor of uh, Sociology, David Meyer, who's concerned about the unanswered questions that still remain even though the Faculty Senate and the Chancellor seem to have made up and had, had have had this happy meeting where he apologized and everybody applauded. So we'll bring you some highlights from that meeting coming up. So let me just read it to you.
1: This is put forward uh, as a resolution for discussion. The principle of academic freedom is central to the functions of a university. The open expression of ideas and debate regarding their merits is vital both to intellectual growth and to progress in our society as a whole. Academic freedom must extend to all members of the faculty, including academics and administrative posts. Acceptance of an administrative position cannot, must not, be associated with withdrawal from the ebb and flow of intellectual discourse, nor an abdication of the right to employ the expertise that has brought one to a position of prominence in one's field. We, the members of the UCI Academic Senate, demand that our administration defend these principles against all pressures, both internal and external to the university. this point we would open this uh, resolution for discussion. Let me just say I, that the purpose that the that this cabinet saw for this resolution is not to force anything upon the Senate. Uh, it's to open the discussion. On the other hand it was
2: our feeling that this
1: represented the, vast, the, the opinion of the vast majority of faculty about academic freedom Um, I would hope that discussions about this uh, could be uh, relatively brief, because we have other issues to attend to today that may take much longer, but um, at this point, I open uh, the floor for discussion of this resolution.
3: Uh, Mark Warshauer, Department of Education. Uh, I'd like to speak on behalf of the resolution, because I think there are occasions when even some, so, even when something is already on the books or already has been said before, it's important to have a re- reaffirmation, and in fact, uh, as my colleague from the Department of Education, Leanne Gouillet, raised, uh, this is a question which has been re-raised in the press recently and uh, among academics, and people have had different opinions on this matter. And I think the world is expecting uh, the faculty of uh, UCI to weigh in on this matter. So uh, whether it, uh, even if we're not taking a step to try to immediately enforce any demand, or even if this has already been written elsewhere, uh, I think it's very important that uh, we go on record on this matter. And I would like to congratulate the cabinet for putting together a very clear and concise and strong statement on this, and I would be proud to support it.
4: Thank you. I'm Alison Brisk, Department of Political Science. And uh, I would also like to endorse the resolution as it stands. But I would like to follow on from both of the previous two speakers and say that, uh, in fact, in my judgment, and I hope the judgment of most people here, a violation of academic freedom has already occurred, and that rights cannot be defended without clear, um, universal, and accountable sanctions of some sort. So that I would like to see, and um, perhaps this is planned as part of this meeting. A further discussion or a package of resolutions in which some sanctions for the violation of academic freedom are discussed. This could range from an investigation of what has occurred, uh, various uh, motions that have been uh, at least uh, alluded to in email communications I've received of uh, censure, no confidence, etc. for the administrators involved in the violation of academic freedom. So I support this resolution, but I would like to inquire whether there are other resolutions or any sort of measures being considered for sanctions or enforcement of this resolution and request that such motions be considered.
2: Thank you. I'm Ellen Greenberger, Department of Psychology and Social Behavior. Uh, Just to clarify, I assume this is meant to be, in fact I shouldn't assume, I'm not clear on whether this resolution is meant to be sort of a one-time response to a particular situation or whether it is meant to uh, be a lasting document. If the latter, uh, I would suggest a change in the final sentence uh, that does not imply, as the current sentence does, that the administrators are uh, not in accord with the spirit of the faculty to promote academic freedom. That is the sentence reads, the members of, we we the members of the Academic Senate demand that our administration defend these principles. Why assume that they don't if we're speaking about a more general type of, of document? So the kind of change I would like to see in the latter regard is that We, the members of the UCI Academic Senate, uh, expect that our administration will join the faculty or will, uh, uh, in some language of that kind, will join the faculty in defending these principles against all pressures and so on and so forth. I don't like the implication that uh, the administrators uh, in general have to be uh, sort of hit over the head to defend these principles.
5: and have fought for my entire adult life. Here in Orange County, as many of you know, I have defended the right of people with unpopular views to express themselves. And I have fought for inclusion of underrepresented people and voices broadly for my entire career. I am and always will be a staunch defender of the right of faculty to express themselves freely. This right, tempered by responsibility, is the hallmark of leadership. We have this in our current deans, And we will have this in Dean Chemerinsky. Throughout this process, I have been guided by what I felt was best for our campus. This is what caused me to return to Professor Chemerinsky last week. I am certain now that he has the best chance of anyone I know to build our law school into the outstanding institution we know it can be. I am convinced of this. He will help build the school. I have some additional work to do. I have to mend bridges damaged by my action and work to build
1: Allowed us to realize that we had no disagreements about these issues. I look forward to coming to the Academic Senate and meeting you in the audience <coughs> personally. I very much look forward to our working together in the months and years ahead.
6: us hope that it will change. We think the, uh, I think the administration should not make such major decisions without consulting with the Senate and the faculty involved. I think the faculty and the administration of UCI need to join forces in shared governance, make the best possible decisions, and then stand together to defend them against outside pressure and therefore I propose the following resolution. The faculty of the University of California, Irvine hereby expressed their disappointment with the leadership exhibited by the chancellor regarding the recruitment of the dean of the School of Law. Apparently, neither the search committee nor faculty initiators of the law school, nor representatives of the Academic Senate were involved in this major decision to revoke the offer to Professor Shimmerinsky. This shows disrespect for shared governance and contributed to a poor decision and damage to the reputation of the law school and UCI as a whole. In spite of this grave administrative mistake, we think that UCI will benefit from Chancellor Drake's continued leadership. We are encouraged by the successful renegotiation between Chancellor Drake and Professor Chemerinsky, and we look forward to welcoming Professor Chemerinsky as the Dean of UCI's new School of Law. We request that the campus administration, including the Chancellor and the EBC Provost, reassert their commitment to the principles of shared governance. Major decisions should be made after consulting with the Academic Senate and the faculty involved. We, the faculty and the administration of UCI, need to use the tools of shared governance to arrive at the best possible decisions and then jointly defend those decisions against political pressure from outside the university.
7: Martha McCartney School of Engineering and Chemical Engineering Material Science. Um, Utah, I don't think many of us would disagree with some of the comments. In fact, we just heard Chancellor Drake state that he firmly thought this mistake was made because he had not consulted with the faculty. And that he was not going to, he was sure that he was not going to do that again in the future. In fact, he was making sure that there would be a consultant committee on some of these actions. As chair of the Senate last year, and as vice chair the year before, I had an opportunity to meet at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, with both Chancellor Drake and the Provost. We discussed wide-ranging issues of importance to the campus, and he was solidly committed to academic governance on almost any issue that came up. This particular issue is an anomaly. I won't try to defend it because I think the criticism is appropriate. I do think the resolution is redundant because the Chancellor has already done what we've asked. He's even stated it here in public. And that's why I wonder why there would be a purpose to saying this after it's already responded to the requests that are listed here.
2: Karen Leonard, School of Social Sciences. What he told us was that he had formed a, a small sort of kitchen cabinet of senior faculty. And that's very different from what's being asked by this resolution. Just want to point that out.
8: I'd like to uh, speak for the resolution and uh, address a few comments and response. Uh, to comments. Sorry, Eric, could you say who you are? Oh, sorry, Eric Stanbridge uh, School of Medicine. Um, I'd like to support the resolution. It can be tweaked, obviously, back and forth, but um, the essence of it, I think, is appropriate. Uh, I also am a former chair of the Academic Senate, and what I look upon in, with, with regard to this resolution is a reaffirmation of the importance of shared governance. That is what is so critical for UC and UC Irvine in particular here. Chancellor Drake precipitated the need for this resolution. I don't believe personally that this is aimed directly at him. It is aimed at the importance of shared governance. And I can tell you from personal experience as Chair of the Academic Senate, this has to be reaffirmed probably on a regular basis. I have a personal experience of entering as Chair of the Academic Senate. It always happens during the quiet season, the silly season of summer. Uh, there was a kitchen cabinet in place. Uh, I was called by myself and told um, that uh, there was a need for support from the Academic Senate on the uh, sale of uh, land, UC land, for the toll road. Um, I said, well, I, we need to have this kitchen cabinet to get together and discuss it, and I doubt if uh, we can come to any this time. Well, actually, it's too late, because it's out on the agenda of the Board of Regents. That is the consultation in those days where there was an absolute need for shared governance, and eventually it did happen. It cost me nine months of my valuable research time to get some resolution from it. And I would say to this group, This is not a personal indictment of Chancellor Drake, it is a recognition, as he himself has said today, um, that mistakes were made, but the importance of shared governance is what it is at issue here, and I would hope that this group and the assembly who are voting uh,
2: recognize that and support the resolution.
9: Shared governance is technically shared between the faculty and the regions, not the faculty and the administration. And that's the way it was originally defined. Now, it has come to mean many other things, but the, that original definition was the academic program was the faculty and the resources was the regions which they
10: delegated to others. And I think we ought to keep that in mind. Thank you. Yes. Cecilia Lynch, Political Science. I appreciate many of the sentiments in this resolution as in the other, and I just want to say that I really appreciate the apology of Chancellor Drake today. That's something that I was waiting to hear, and I think it was very necessary. I do feel, however, that there are some questions um, in the wording of this particular resolution um, that I would like addressed. And one is all of the references to um, the apparent lack of Um, communication with various faculty bodies. I feel that if we are to have shared governance, especially in light of the the, uh, statements made by the two previous speakers of external pressures on uh, public university today, um, that we need to know more about what happened and more about the external pressures in this particular situation so that we as faculty can then come together to identify what we feel is simply not on, not right, um, and that what, how we actually can preserve academic freedom. So I would like a more concrete statement um, with uh, the Academic Senate undertaking an investigation that would lay out the facts and the pressures of this case, who was informed, who wasn't, and the specific suggestions as how to go forward as the beginning of moving forward with shared, for shared governance, a better model of shared governance. Thank you.
11: Ronald Miller, Department of Medicine. I would like to support the comments of Professors McCartney, Loftus, Lynch, But also to say that anyone is entitled to a mistake, even an egregious mistake. Anyone who has the character after the media exposure and the understandable outrage of the faculty to admit that mistake, it seems to me, is a man of great character. I think Chemerinsky's willingness to forgive and to move on is appropriate, and I believe we should move on. I do not agree with the statements that have just been made that this resolution is not pointed toward the chancellor in a um, way that I think uh, many of us, including uh, the comment by Professor Lynch Uh, would agree with. I certainly agree with her. We need more information to know about the extent of the pressures, but I do believe that we ought to accept the Chancellor's (coughs) willingness to admit his error and to move on. Thank you.
12: stood up in the back of the hall. But I, I want to speak in favor of this. Can you say Oh, no? I'm sorry. Stephen White, Department of Physiology and Biophysics College of Medicine, School of Medicine. So I want to speak in favor of this document in its entirety. Uh, I don't think that we should separate the two. And the idea that we shouldn't act in this way because we are in a fishbowl is simply incorrect. In fact, because we are in a fishbowl, because we are being examined because we are becoming examples of what governance of universities should be about, we should adopt this resolution and we should adopt it publicly and we should let everyone examine us in the process of doing that. So I think this is a fine resolution. I think it's well-tempered. I was impressed with the Chancellor's uh, comments, but nevertheless, I think we must make this statement. with the previous speaker in the sense that I think a very dramatic decision was made. That that will uh, Doug Mills from physics, I'm sorry. Uh, but since I spoke before, I thought you all knew. Uh, but uh, I, I really do think a, a very uh, egregious decision was made without consultation, and so on down the line. And I do think that's worthy of shall we say, a slap on the wrist or or something of that kind. I I think we really need, in this group, to note that. I'm, of course, delighted that matters have healed. Um, And uh, I was deeply impressed at uh, the Chancellor's earlier statement, turning some views I have around. I'm just delighted, so I think we can move forward with a very positive relationship between the Chancellor and our community and, and the Chancellor and other aspects. But something really happened. It really honestly did happen. And uh, I endorse this document as well. Um, I think it's a positive document in many ways, looking at some of the the, the later statements. uh, But we have to recognize that something really did.
3: There is a default story out there, the one circulating in the newspapers and in the so called Fishbowl. It's very, very bad. Many of us believe that that's not the full story, and that's part of the reason why we believe it is possible to go forward under current leadership. But to do that, I think we need a story out there that includes more facts and is not the one. We're getting from the papers, and we can't do that unless there is some sort of formal inquiry. So I would like to see the Senate move to do that.
4: (laughs) Are people in the right half of the room?
0: You've been listening to highlights from a faculty Senate meeting on Thursday, dealing with the law school Mm -hmm. scandal. The body ended up not passing any resolution that criticized the chancellor but it did set up a uh, committee to investigate his actions. This is Dan Zhang with Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the Regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. And now we go to our interview with Professor David Meyer, who has a different take from the majority, it seems, of the people that were at the Faculty Senate meeting. We're here with uh, Professor David Meyer, uh, who's uh, Professor of Sociology. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I was going to ask you about this Faculty Senate meeting on Thursday. it, to me it seems like a love fest and you're a scholar of social protests. Mm. Why did this uh, protest seem to dissolve and fizzle out? It was a
13: nutty meeting. The essential problem is the two issues were conflated. Issue one is does it make sense to condemn Chancellor Drake's conduct of the Chemerinsky affair? Issue two is should we go forward with Chancellor Drake as our leader? and people are on both sides of both of those questions. But they were talking about all of them at the same time and therefore we couldn't make any progress. People in the medical school particularly were impressed with Chancellor Drake's performance over the past several years. Certainly he's been the best fundraiser we've had here ever. And people in the medical school also see much more of him and think highly of him. And they kept telling us all that. And they seemed less interested in the conduct surrounding the law school or Professor Chemerinsky than in making sure Chancellor Drake's leadership was not threatened or undermined in any way because he's been so good to them.
0: Do you think uh, Professor Chemerinsky's letter had a big impact?
13: I think that Professor Chemerinsky's letter was a tool that people who supported Chancellor Drake were able to use. I also think that it was a gracious... Thing for Professor Chemerinsky to do, but it doesn't mean terribly much.
0: What, what do you, what, uh, you, you spoke at the meeting and you wanted uh, an investigation, uh, something to go on. I would like the out.
13: Chancellor to be more forthcoming about mm-hmm. what influenced this sudden turn of events and craziness. Now, the way the Chancellor has described it, he made a mistake and then he fixed it. And this may well be so, but we want to know why he made that mistake. If he made that mistake because he ate some bad food somewhere and he, lost his, and he lost his ability to focus, then I want to know what restaurant he ate at and I don't want to go there anymore. If he made that mistake because people from local politics then influenced him inappropriately, then I would like to know about that also because I'd like to not eat with, eat with them anymore either. And <laughs> if I would like to believe that Chancellor Drake was operating under some kind of principle, at the same time, the way it appears, not knowing anything, is that Chancellor Drake responded to local pressure in canceling the appointment and then responded to national pressure in restoring the appointment. I hope that's not the case. I hope that there was some bit of academic integrity somewhere, but we don't have any evidence of that.
0: Do, do you think there was any? Um, I mean, uh, do you th- do you you don't buy his argument that it was a, a managerial th- decision? Uh, I mean, in that sense that he was upset. I think in the uh, in the every uh, times it was reported that uh, at the Regents meeting he uh, told them it was because he thought uh, he couldn't control um, Chemerinsky. unmanageable or uncontrollable.
13: It's if that was the case. Then it's odd that Professor that Chancellor Drake didn't realize this in the months leading up to the decision to make the appointment, and it's odd that he changed his mind suddenly three days later after the New York Times, the LA Times, and several other major national papers and several, many, many uh, legal scholars said Chemerinsky's so great it's academic freedom. It didn't seem like management issues were being addressed in the outside. And again, we don't know what's going on inside. We want we mm-hmm. need to know in order to make some decision about what's going on. When I make a mistake, I try to figure out why I made that mistake so that I can make sure I don't do it again. That seems like a good policy for all of us.
0: So you saying the Senate should uh find out what went wrong?
13: I think the Senate has an obligation to, to find out what's wrong. I also think the Senate has an obligation to condemn the events and to condemn the uh public fiasco of the rescission of the appointment and then the restoration of the appointment. I am not willing to say that therefore therefore Chancellor Drake should be ousted. I don't know whether that's true or not. I need to know more before I make a decision like that. And certainly all the testimony of the medical school faculty about how valuable Chancellor Drake has been to their efforts is something that's relevant to consider then. It's not particularly relevant to consider in evaluating the events of the last 10 days.
0: Yeah, it seemed like the medical uh, faculty was there to support him.
13: Yeah, well, he must be doing great by them. And, you know, you have to respect that. The hospital's important. The medical school's important. There's great work to be done there that doesn't um, take the responsibility for the rest of the campus off uh, the chancellor's shoulders. Boy, it's just a really hard job. And it,
0: it, it is our job. There's still uh, concern out there in the blog world. Uh, There's a uh, article uh, called The Most Corrupt Man in California. My have you Susan seen that? Susan Estrich, yeah. Right. What do you think of that piece?
13: That was pretty polemical. And uh, Professor Estrich raised, raised the issue that there may be some anti-Semitism here. And again, I have no reason to believe that's true, but it's worthwhile for the Chancellor to come forward and explain exactly what happened to at least a group of faculty members who are not handpicked, so that we can understand the uh, obstacles that led him to stumble, albeit for a short time.
0: Uh, on, on the anti-Semitism charge, uh, it relates, up, uh, I guess, to the fact that he's uh, defended the free speech on campus of uh, various students, um, Muslim students, as, uh, as well as uh, uh, pro-Israel students, although uh, some in the outside community claimed that he uh, allowed hate speech.
13: Um, I've heard those statements coming from the outside community as a faculty member here, as a Jewish faculty member here. I have not experienced what feels like a hostile climate for being Jewish or for being critical.
0: I haven't seen that at all. Um, so you don't think that had anything to do with the Chemerinsky case. I think that
13: perception might have something to do with Susan Estrich's article. Definitely, but um, I haven't seen. But I haven't seen that on this campus. Um, my concern really comes from the public reports of the last week and a half two weeks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Chancellor Drake's refusal to explain in a satisfactory manner just what all is going on. And according to the LA Times, he said he's not going to.
0: There was also early times, uh, I think editorial online maybe, maybe just online, uh, Fess Up, it said. Yeah, it said Fess Up, that was the for the Chancellor to confess.
13: I didn't see that. I, I yeah, that see was that.
0: maybe just online uh, by editorial writer for the Times.
13: Huh. Well, I mean, if if the Chancellor was subjected to undue pressure from local politicians or funders, that's something we should know about. If he wasn't, well, that's something we should know about, too. And it's unfortunate because the Chancellor is trying to maintain this strict confidentiality, but the people who talked with him are not necessarily trying to do the same. We know that the um, L.A. supervisor Antonovich Ha, um, has been public about trying to submarine the Chemerinsky hiring and we know that the Chief Judge of the Supreme Court contacted Chancellor Drake or tried to contact tra- Chancellor Drake. We know that from the other people. We don't know that from Chancellor
3: Drake.
0: And also the Dean of the Law School at uh, Berkeley uh, has spoken out uh, explaining why he thought uh, 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 Dr. Drake was correct in, in in not hiring Chemerinsky.
13: Yeah, Christopher Adelie wrote um, an op-ed and he was also quoted as being one of the people uh, Chancellor Drake um, consulted and uh, Dean Edway's line is that it's appropriate for a a dean of a law school to trim his sails and if the Chancellor was convinced that um, Chemerinsky wouldn't do that then he shouldn't hire him. Now I think that it's totally fine totally fine for the administration and the search committee to consider the capacity of a dean to exercise leadership, to build ties with the community, to um, um, promote a a favorable image of UCI. I think all those things are relevant and I think it's even relevant in hiring a dean to consider that person's politics. That said, there's a long search process and a very big search committee worked on this for months and months and months it's hard to know what came out in this one-week period mm-hmm. that would lead to um, the loss of faith in whatever decisions that they came to that led them to offer this generous contract to Professor Chemerinsky and how those things were suddenly ameliorated after the New York Times editorial.
0: <laughs> uh, did you have? Uh, were you surprised at the Faculty Senate being so lame?
13: So lame. That's a really nice way to put it. Um, I was, (coughs) I was skeptical that the majority of faculty would be willing to broker conflict because most academics are pretty conflict adverse. I was surprised that more faculty didn't stand up and ask questions and try to make sense of what had happened. And I think that some people uh, trimmed their own sails to avoid controversy, and I think that's unfortunate. because if we all enjoy academic freedom, and I believe Chancellor Drake when he says he's determined to protect academic freedom, then we should exercise it and ask the questions that we think are important and we shouldn't be scared of asking or of disagreeing with colleagues and even disagreeing with the administration because they've said and I believe them, that they want to promote useful debate on campus. And I certainly don't think anything was uncivil in that meeting.
0: No. (laughs) people just didn't want any criticism the argument was that uh, that was brought up apparently was that the press would learn about the criticism and it would give another black guy to UCI what do you think about that argument?
13: I think that this large body of faculty is not going to keep something from a press that's actually interested in it I also think that it reflects well on the faculty of a university to try to make sure its administrators operate at the highest ethical standards, and if in fact Chancellor Drake is doing that, and many many faculty think that he is, having a serious investigation will only valorize that and underscore it, because we all want the truth. Nobody's nobody is out to um, nobody is out to. Undermine the reputation of any individual here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's important for all of us to remember. I think we're trying to make sense of these nutty, nutty, nutty events in a week
0: and a half that really made UCI look foolish. In that short time period, you know, there was a debate about even picketing his house and or whatever his administration office or whatever. There was protests mm. being talked about, and yet now this week it seems like we don't we haven't heard anything from. Um, people that wanted to protest at that time, because he did what people wanted. He rehired Um Chmerinsky, yeah. Um, do you, have you seen in your study of social protests or faculty protests? Have you studied faculty protests at Not all? Not a
13: lot, but yeah. I, but I, but a, but small concessions often take the steam out of uh, protest mm. movements. And Chancellor Drake offered two very clear things that made it hard for people to be as angry with him yesterday as they were last week. One of those things is he acknowledged that he made a mistake and that was more than enough for many of my colleagues because they don't see professors admitting mistakes often enough. And the second thing he did is he delivered Professor Chemerinsky and many, I, I don't know Professor Chemerinsky personally, but people who knew him and people who are familiar with his work think he's going to be the greatest thing we can possibly get here. And they're so excited about having him to build their law school around that they're totally comfortable in looking the other way over the sometimes ugly process that got him here.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, your point about the fact that he apologized and admitted uh, he did wrong uh, brought some laughter uh when it was referenced by Professor Loftus, uh, Professor Loftus at the meeting said he hoped he wished the leaders of the country would have done the same. Um, the national leaders.
13: Yeah, that was that was that was a very effective comment to take the steam out of uh, out of the room. Also, um, I don't think that the um, debate on this particular issue falls on left-right lines, and Mm. I think most UCI faculty, like most Americans, are very skeptical about the conduct of the war. President Bush's public approval rating is something on the order of 24 percent. I suspect it's lower, even lower, (laughs) among the faculty at UCI. And so Professor Loftus, by calling a distinction between Chancellor Drake and uh, the National Administration made a very uh, clever rhetorical point I I think they're pretty different and I also think that however messy, nasty, ugly Chancellor Drake's um, handling of the Chemerinsky affair was over the course of this week nobody died nobody lost body parts Mm -hmm. nobody got a residency that he didn't deserve nobody had a baby that they didn't know the father of so I, I think it was on those dimensions far less serious than other issues that, other
0: scandals that preceded Chancellor Drake. For sure. Yeah. The um, do, do you feel that from now on that, what, um, that he's going to be able to stay here, or do you think the writing is on the wall and then he'll fade out of UCI eventually? I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure that
13: Chancellor Drake will eventually leave UCI as we all do. Mm -hmm. You know, we are mortal. But (laughs) I have no idea. And it seemed very clear that there were many, many faculty who had been so impressed with his leadership and with his chancellorship that they would hope that he would stay here for a very long time because he's done so many things that have impressed them. Um, One person said uh, even
0: an egregious mistake, uh, you allowed one.
13: Well. In academia, there are certain mistakes you're not allowed. Hmm. If I plagiarized, I'd lose my job, and I think that's appropriate. If um, somebody from natural sciences falsified data in a publication, they would have to retract that, and they might well lose their job as well, and I think that's appropriate. We play by certain rules. And one of the things an administrator is supposed to do is protect academic freedom. And a chancellor has an additional job which is, he has to project an image of, prote- of protecting academic freedom as well as actually protecting academic freedom. Without doubt, the Chancellor faltered on this last week. And um, the faculty should consider that real, very seriously. I don't know whether that's an unpardonable sin, but it's a very, very serious one.
0: It seems the Senate was more worried it seemed that they weren't consulted, and after uh, Drake said he would consult them in the future, that seemed to make uh, most people there happy.
13: I don't know if the events, I don't know if anybody came to that that event and changed their mind over something the Chancellor or anyone else said. I think that people had their take on the events and what was most important Mm -hmm. before they got there, and all the arguments that people threw out in the Chancellor's very brief um, statement, were just things that they picked up to support the side they were already on. I think I could be I, I could be wrong about it. the consultation thing. Is very serious. Um, the University of California is ostensibly run by um, the faculty, and there's a consultative uh, tradition. The chancellor says he didn't consult anybody on campus, and it's quite possible, the Chancellor says, and I have no reason to doubt him, that had he consulted members of the um, search committee or the provost or other administrators on campus, his doubts or troubles or um, problems with the Chemerinsky appointment might have been ameliorated or he might have been guided on how to handle the rescission of the contract more um, efficiently. Um, I mean, I'm going to assume with the search committee that the hiring Professor Chemerinsky is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. I'll assume that with the search committee and with the New York Times and with the L.A. Times. and So um, the chancellor might have spared himself some, uh, uh, you know, an ugly several days. I mean, I'm sure he worked very hard to get Professor Chemerinsky back on board. And he's been to North Carolina twice in the last week and a half. All right. Yeah, Yeah. I haven't been there at all. Uh, uh All all week, I haven't been to North
0: Carolina. I mean, he was rumored to have been uh, in line to be UC president.
13: Yeah, nobody asked me about who should be the UC president, so I don't feel like I have some insight into this. Right now, off-campus, Chancellor Drake certainly doesn't look so great. Um, You know, it, it was an odd series of events in academia, and... That doesn't doesn't suggest that there are many institutions that would immediately be clamoring for Chancellor Drake to come and join them instead. Um, that said, over time, the balance of his
0: career here
13: mm-hmm.
0: is going to be what determines his future and our future. Right. Do, do you think people that were cautious about coming here will change their mind now since the, the hiring was... Uh, resolved hiring issue?
13: I think that faculty who have good options, and presumably the people they want to hire for the law school will all have good options, will weigh this as one of many factors in deciding whether to take a job. And it may weigh more heavily for some people than others. Other people may say proximity to the beach is the most exciting thing and therefore I'm going to go there. The weather. Yeah. Yeah, well it's great weather in Irvine. And I'm sure that Dean Chemerinsky will assure any potential faculty member that uh, that
0: academic freedom won't be an issue for them. Um, Do you think he guarantees a job now and they can't fire him anymore?
13: Professor Chemerinsky? Oh, you can always fire people. Nobody's, <laughs> safe, forever. <laughs> Nobody's safe forever. But, you know, I, I mean, uh, Professor Chemerinsky was at Duke for, what, 22 years? And then he no, at USC. He, at USC, excuse me, and then Duke for four or five years. So, I mean, obviously, he probably, you know, he, he's had success in other institutional environments. There's no reason to think he wouldn't be successful here. Um, and there's also no reason to think that, should he dedicate himself to it, he wouldn't be able to raise barrels of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily all of it local. For sure, yeah. And, uh, I'm sure that it's important that he and the administration work together and doing that. You know, one of the uh, speakers at the meeting mentioned that this all reflects increased um, emphasis on state universities raising money from the private sector. And that demand to continue to raise more and more and more money um, could conceivably affect the academic decisions that the faculty and the administration make. We really want to make sure as we have to um, go beyond the state legislature to fund what goes on here, that we maintain a set, our sense of what's important and not just the funder's sense of what's important.
0: Well, the law school is actually f- uh, going to be funded by private interest, because the state didn't want to support it. And I would think,
13: again, none of the funders talked to me. I assume that their primary concern is having an extremely high-quality institution that will train lawyers and, refla- and spend their money effectively. I would hope and I would expect that they don't intend to hire professors or make decisions about curriculum. If any do- donors do expect that, then it's the obligation of the administration to disabuse them of those notions. Um, and the last few days made us question the degree to which the Chancellor was actually doing that. And again, we don't know what really happened. And What the Chancellor said in the press is, it's actually really simple, but I'm not going to disclose it because it's a personnel matter. And that's unfortunate because he could, he might be able to put this whole matter to rest and give us some guidance in setting up procedures so that we could be more effective in making hires in the future. And preserving academic freedom—what we all want.
0: When you first came here, did you see Orange County as this bastion of uh, conservative uh, values, or not? I heard
13: that. I mean, I, I read some books about it, and I knew Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon had um, honed their political careers here.
0: Um, Coffee clutches, I think—that's yeah. how they started the the New Right. Uh, as a book by a Harvard professor, Louisa McGur. Yeah. Right. I interviewed her on the show. Was she interesting? Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um,
13: um, uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm exposed to to very little of it. What I've seen, which is bizarre, is um, the focus on in the independent fundraising for things that I would have thought would be public and that elsewhere are public. So my kid uh, started third grade last week. Mm and every parent, every kid was asked to, every kid's family was asked to contribute $150 to the uh,
0: PTA which they could use to get teachers classroom supplies. This is in Irvine? Yeah. Wow, I thought Irvine was a rich school district. It is a rich school district
13: because in California the state funds all the schools relatively equally. Actually Irvine a little bit worse and affluent communities like Irvine compensate for that by aggressive fundraising and establishing these foundations to pour extra money into the school. And I buy a bus ticket for her to take the bus, whereas
0: on the East Coast, kids take the bus for free. And I We think take the bus for free. UCI. <laughs> we do? Yeah, the faculty and the staff now and employees all can have their bus, uh, their IDs coded for OCTA travel. Oh, cool. You can just go to the parking facilities office and have them do that. That's cool. Wouldn't get my kid to school though, and, uh, unless he uses your ID. <laughs> so, so it's so it's a weird
13: thing that you know everything is, that so much here is privatized. All right, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a professor, so I, I have enough money to buy the bus pass for my kid and even to buy glue sticks for the teacher, <laughs> but that's not the way public facilities
0: should be run. Yeah, it's privatizing it.
13: Yeah, so, I mean, the university is following along that, same universities, and this is not peculiar to the University of California, this is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And our students, you know, I mean, the meeting at which the regents approved uh, Professor Chemerinsky's salary also featured an announcement that they're going to increase tuition at professional schools. And so the law school now costs something on the order of $31,000 a year. That's um, a non-trivial amount of money. Um, I'm actually less concerned about the professional schools than the tuition that undergraduates pay here, right. and the amount of debt that undergraduates take on here. For sure. And um, again, this is all part of like a, an ongoing campaign to privatize universities and to get the state out of the business of funding state activities, mm. which is a problem.
0: Yep. Um, we'll have to have you back for another interview um, later.
13: If I ever have something useful to say, I'm happy to tell
0: it to you. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Professor Dan. Meyer. Thank you. Bye-bye. You were listening to Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The website is kuci.org slash tilde DTSANG, where archived editions of the show are available.